This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. You know who you are. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here for what has to be the most special of all of the special episodes of the Resilient Disciples Podcast. The specialist. Someone. Uh, <laughs> the voice you hear is that of Marlon Washington. Now, before we get going, mm-hmm. I want to make sort of a couple things clear right up top. The Make first is that uh, people are listening to this episode on December 23rd. Uh, mm-hmm. So consider this the Christmas present from the Resilient Disciples podcast. Merry Christmas from Resilient Disciples. Just the podcast, not the whole brand. Uh, and secondarily, <laughs> uh, Marlon is my best friend. And what you're about to hear are two people who deeply care about this. But you're going to hear two people who have seen everything in each other. So if, uh, if any of you who have been listening for a long time are curious about the various skeletons in my closet, Marlon knows where all of them are and hung most of them up. I Um, I did. And, uh, but I'm not just talking to Marlon because he's my best friend, but I'm talking to Marlon because he serves as a youth pastor for a church, uh, in Chicago called Chicago hope church. And Marlon also happens to be, uh, I would say by far one of the most spiritually dynamic people that I've ever had the privilege of interacting with. And I'm often in a position of awe looking at his faith and I'm excited to share that with you all today. So Marlon, officially welcome to the podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Has it been two years? Uh, years Since you were the host, you all, you got to know that Ross and I started our positions like at the same time. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting, like, so one thing that Ross and I say is that God uses all things for good for those who love God and are called according to the purpose. Yes, I put a T on that all because mm-hmm. that em- emphasizes everything mm-hmm. about us. And the thing was, was that Ross was starting this like podcast about youth ministry. And I literally was starting for the first time as a youth pastor and I was listening to the resilient disciples podcast and and being encouraged and empowered to go be a youth pastor and then ross was like wait you're actually doing what i'm talking about so i can like use you as a reference and so like god was using both of our lives for each other and he did it he did it at the same time which was just really cool yeah uh it 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 would really was we'll put it all in the book someday um but where i wanted to start start with you was the is actually where how you wound up in this position a couple years ago. Now you, you serve at Chicago Hope Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say you serve in youth ministry, that is going to look a lot different in your context than various people across uh, the country that are listening to this. But yeah. if, especially the guy that I first met, however many years ago, being a youth pastor at a, at a church that is connected to a school mm-hmm. might be the least likely thing <laughs> you ever thought would happen to your life the least that's so, yeah so i'm curious now that you you know as you're starting that process as you're in it what surprised you the most about the requirements for discipleship for the kids that were in your ministry Ooh, what surprised me the most was that something that i thought wasn't really worth something was my like silliness and my humor and he literally was like, no, 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 I need that. I need you to, to be your silly, humorous self, to break down barriers and to reach people that you would never have any business reaching. 
Um, even though I do serve at a school that is um, mostly Latino and black, I grew up in the South suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> um, and at one point lived on a golf course in a gated community. So there is some disconnect there. So I think what sure. was most surprising about serving on the near West side with low, a lot of low income students, a lot of students that don't like had different upbringings than me was that my silliness was necessary. Like the, this, this, the kids needed to know that he cares about me and he cares about all of me. So like I can clown with him, I can fool with him, I can joke with him, but then he's also going to care about my well-being and my spirituality. And there's something about teens needing to know that you're not just there to get a job done or like be really serious. And so being silly was the way to break down that barrier where they were like, oh, he's a full human and he'll clown with me and also be honest. And then on the flip of that, the two things, so it was my silliness, my humor, and then also my honesty. Hmm. God made it very clear early on that my, like he can use my planning, he can use my strategy and my songs or whatever, but he was like, it's your honesty that I use the most because that gives them a picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Mm. And he was like, I can use that long after you, like when they're in college or whatever, like I can bring to mind that story of like, but you remember Marlon, like he was following Jesus and dealt with this. So the two things that I didn't expect to be necessary were my silliness as at a high degree that it, it's needed. And then you also have to be honest because a lot of times teens aren't taken seriously because they're like, oh, you're still you're still young. And teens are yeah. like, well, I'm going through real things. So the only way to really um, get them comfortable with the reality of being OK with telling the truth and how they're actually doing is to see someone model it for them. Mm-hmm. And so God really prepped me to be honest and model that so that they knew it was safe to be honest. They knew it was safe to to talk to God in a real way. I'm, I tell kids, I'm not going to teach you a Bible verse just to teach it to you. I'm teaching it to you because it changed my life. So I'm all about life change and transformation when we're following Jesus, because that's what he's about. That's real good. I'm curious how you have seen the experience that the kids in your ministry are going through and how that compares to the experience that you went through in the church. Because when I think about what healthy discipleship looked like for mm-hmm. our generation, when we were kids, yeah, it was in an entirely different world. It was in a pre-internet world. It was in a world pre-social media, but you was... Yeah. So you as someone who's on the ground, what is the, how would you begin to define the differences between growing up up today and growing Mm -hmm. up, you know, when you and I grew up? Yeah. uh, Number one is comparison. Mm. The social media, smartphone, internet aspect, like allows so much comparison to how somebody else is living their life compared to yours, which we just didn't have. Like we had the people in the room, but we didn't have like someone in New York or, you know, Arizona being like, look how cool their life is. Like we just didn't have that perspective. Does that come up like on a regular basis with your kids? Like, are you, uh, are you having to be like, who is this influencer? Like why, why do we care what they say? Uh, not as, yes, sometimes it's really not about the influence. It's just sort of like the mindset. It, okay. It's not, it's not this particular person. It's like, this is the mindset, like getting likes and being on TikTok and scrolling. It's just a part of how they function. Mm-hmm. Whereas it was a new concept for us, but for them, that's all they know. Um, so yeah, it's not really so much about specific people. It's more so about just the mindset of 
my value, my worth is based off of my social media presence. Sure. And I think, we didn't even have that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so grateful that we didn't. Ooh, I'm so thankful. Um, you know, it makes me think about in the book Resilient, which if you're a new listener to this podcast, we'll link in the show notes. And if you're not a new listener, you've heard us talk about before. But in the book Resilient, the authors of the book make a, a sort of diagnosis mm-hmm. of today's generation of kids and how there are sort of three primary uh, oppressive forces that are, com- mm-hmm. that are coming after these kids. Mm-hmm. There's the, the breakdown of the family. There's the shrinking church. And then there's screen discipleship. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of nuance to those terms. If you are yes. an author of the book Resilient and you're listening to this, odds are I did not summarize them well enough for you. But I'm curious for you, Marlon, mm-hmm. how have you seen those uh, huge 50,000 foot kind of thoughts play out in the context of your ministry when you're ministering to individual kids? Yeah. So breakdown of the family. Um, I think one of the most painful things is how much these teens are like screaming and crying out for uh, paternal father figures. Mm. It is, you know, I have one, one teen. I'm like, you just want a big brother. (laughs) Like that's what you, and, but it's not like a, it's a need. Like you want a male to look up to. Um, I just, I've had teens that are pretty, they don't necessarily get on board with everything. Like when I teach my classes and stuff, they're like, man, I'm really thankful for you, Mr. Washington. Like you you really go the extra length for us. You know, Um, I just have, I have so many teens that have the breakdown of the family and they don't have adults that are fighting for them and just want the best for them just because they're them. Um, So breakdown of the family, it is, it's reeling. So can I ask you a question about that? Because I think that's a thing that folks, no matter what their context looks like, right? Like I think we can, uh, there's data to suggest, but there's also plenty of assumptions to be made about what the breakdown of the family looks like in a context Mm -hmm. where you are operating as a, as a youth minister on the South or the West side of Chicago, excuse me. Um, And I should clarify for folks who are confused, Marlon in his role as a, pastor is also able to serve as a teacher in the context of the school. How do you, because people who are listening to this, mm-hmm. they've had that moment you're describing where a kid looks at them and they're like, you're the only one I've told. Yeah. Or I feel safe for you or mm-hmm. on the extra mile and other adults in my life happen. What happens next? <laughs> because I think what, for someone who hasn't lived out that experience with teenagers, since I myself was a teenager, how do you let some of the weight of that go? How do you continue to have a relationship with that kid? What does boundaries look like with a family when you know that that family isn't as healthy as you'd like them to be? How does managing that look like? (laughs) Well, step one, the first thing that God taught me before, like as we were stepping into being a youth pastor, he was like, you're going to have to let me do the heavy lifting. Hmm. And uh, for those, Ross will tell you, I'm a very intense person. So when I 
want some, you know, want to help someone follow Jesus. I'm like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fast. You're going to start journaling. I'm going to take you to the throne of grace myself. We're going to get this figured out. And the, the challenge was for, for me and for my own personal mental health as someone that is uh, living with severe depression, I didn't understand how I was going to return back to vocational ministry. And God was like, you've got to let me do the heavy lifting, which is you've got to do your part. You've got to be honest. You've got to tell the truth. You've got to tell, tell them what I say. And then you've got to let me do the rest. So um, for a lot of these teens, I am that loving, caring adult. I am for a lot of these teens. I am a loving and caring black male that cares. And why I say that is because I've even had, you know, one of my close teens tell me like, I'm just not used to black men caring about me. It's just not a reality they live in. So the, the fact that I am a man of color, a, a follower of Jesus and an artist, um, it, it offers me a lot of leverage to reach a lot of students. And so I have to be willing to point them back to Jesus. You know, I have to, I told two of my students that are dating and both neither have a father, neither have a father, father, consistent father figure in the home. You know, I was like, I need both of you to go sit down and read through Ephesians chapter one, because that's where God says it was my good pleasure to adopt you. It was my joy to die for you and rescue you. It wasn't a burden. And I was telling them, you know, I was like, I grew up thinking I was always a burden to my father. And what God was telling me was, no, I'm your perfect loving father. And I, it was my, like, I was excited to rescue you and leave it all there. Like put Jesus on the cross to rescue you. And it sort of shifted. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. You want me like you, and you'd like me for me, not for who I could be or who you want me to be, but just because I'm breathing and I have to rely on that power because I'm not going to be able to be there to, to rescue every, every kid, every phone call, every text. I know you're not supposed to. Right. And nor am I, but the old Marlon will be like, but I'm gonna, you know? No. Yeah. And, and so, there's people and people who are listening to this have tried, right. And people who are listening absolutely. to this are pillars in their community mm-hmm. who have done that for generations of kids and that's right. good and righteous work. But I think what I have seen play out in your story time and time again is how vitally important it is for people around you to develop their own relationship with Jesus. Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Because there is, and this is true for all youth establishment. This is where I want to take the conversation next, because I think there's this temptation in child discipleship, particularly to sort of put on entertainment rather than to be focused on discipleship. We talk about that a lot. Yes. Uh, If you want to learn more about that, I highly recommend Sam Luce. He's a great resource for that particular material. But I think a similar problem exists very prevalently prevalently in youth discipleship, which is I want the kids to like me, mm-hmm. the of me versus because then they'll come back mm-hmm. versus I want the kids to follow Jesus. Yeah. Now, as someone who is quite likable, <laughs> I'm curious how you walk that line. How do you continue to re-engage your kids with relationships with Jesus? when they may want you to do the heavy lifting for them. Yeah, that that's where uh, 
I I am likable in a lot of senses, but that can be a downfall if that's what your idol is, if that's what you're looking for. Um, by the time I got to, you know, to be in a youth pastor, I didn't really care. Like for anyone that's been through any sort of mental health journey, because it's so internal and people can't see it, you have to, you have to choose if you're going to deal with it or not. So you start to be very comfortable with who you are and where, and who, you, where you've ended up. So I, you know, by that point, I understood how much God loved me and I didn't need validation from other people, which is what I was looking for in the, in the past. Number one, I tell anybody that's going to be a youth pastor, you've got to be sure of who you are in Jesus, because these teens are going to come after you. And if you don't have a strong self-esteem and who you are in Christ, you will be torn apart. Yeah. So you, you have to be okay, totally making fun of yourself, totally being okay, letting them like you know, clown you, you have to be okay being yourself. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Awana. Our kids are in a faith crisis and need your help now. We need your best gift to reach even more kids with the gospel and further child discipleship, both in the U.S. and around the globe. Awana works even in the face of aggressive secularism. And the time to give is now. Give today at awana.org slash lasting faith. So to, to walk that line, you've got to be willing to say what you're going through is real, what you're going through is honest. Why? Because I've gone through it and I'm no better than you. I'm just older. And they have to, yeah, you know, they Thanks have to be episode title, brother. <laughs> I'm no better than you. I'm just older. We still all need Jesus. And on top of that, I often t- I often tell my teens, I say, you're farther along than me because I didn't start following Jesus till I was 22. So the fact that you're 17 and doing, I'm like, imagine, just imagine. So yeah, you know, you, you can't come in as a, I'm a youth pastor. I want to make sure you have fun and like me. You have to come and be like, I'm who God made me to be. He's called me in this position. Why? Because he's affirmed my gifts. Mm-hmm. And this is what he's need me to do. I see how the breakdown of the family in a community like yours relates to the shrinking church. Because mm-hmm. when I think about what I am in control of, right, as one of God's creations rather than creator in the context of the shrinking church, I can't grow the church. Yeah. But what I can do in the context of child discipleship is be a loving, caring adult for as many kids as possible. Because that in turn grows the church. And when I think about the work you're doing, each and every day, you are able to go into a community that culturally has churches on every corner. Yes. But numbers wise, you, all you have to do is look at any sort of study that suggests that the church itself is shrinking and you are able to grow what we would call the church 2050 by mm. showing these kids what following Jesus looks like. The one I want to lean into though, is mm-hmm. uh, in this idea of screen discipleship, because I think for folks who don't work with teens, first there's this immediate gap in understanding. Yes. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? You know, what is TikTok? What is that? Right. Yeah. But then there's also a gap in empathy mm-hmm. of why does it matter that she liked your friend's post and didn't like your post? Yes. We talk about how screens disciple in a sort of a data level. Mm-hmm. How have you seen Screens Disciple 
in the context of your ministry, in the context of your school, in the context of your church? Everything they do is influenced by, you know, they, they do dances and I'll be like, where'd you learn that? TikTok, um, all of the jokes. It's so, (laughs) it's so funny. There's so many jokes that they have and it's about something they watched Mm -hmm. and it's only those people that know it, you know, like if we told a joke when we were kids, everybody watched the magic school bus, you know, everybody watched Arthur or whatever, but here it's so many different options. So it's only if you're in the know. So there's a lot of jokes. Um, There's a lot of just like sayings, songs, They'll be like, where'd you learn? My, even my niece was singing the French, pr- Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song. And she's nine. And I'm like, where did you learn that? She was like, TikTok? I was like, uh, you know, it's having- a great song. Let's just, let's just make sure. Great song, it. regardless. Yeah. But you know, like the, the reality is, is that, you know, I recently moved out of living with my niece and nephew and sister and brother-in-law. So I got to, and, and my niece and nephew, we were very close. I was in the birthing room for both of them. And I've just been with them that whole journey. And to see them know how to work a screen better than me and to be so comfortable with the reality of I'm trying to get likes. Like there literally was a fight broken up between them and their cousins about like how to get more likes. So there's this mindset. There's this, this is really, it's bizarre. This mindset of my validation comes from what people say about me on social media. And that's the foundational affirmation in my life is what people, what do people say and think about me? And because, you know, our commercials, our TV, everything gets pointed back to social media now. Like how did that person become famous? Social media, you know? So everything's coming back to, oh, so if I go to social media, I'll find some value and some worth. And that's what's um, that's that's the discipleship. And that's what we have to fight against. I'm actually been blown away by the fruit of my in-person validation. Mm. Um, As a teacher, I get to be in charge of the school chapel band and we're breaking records. And it's not me. It's (laughs) more kids want to be a part of chapel band than ever. Literally, we have a problem. We literally had to move students so that I could keep taking more students in. And I, I just got an email from someone else. We're at 21 and we at least we have like at least like three or four more wanting to be a part. And every time chapel band happens, more kids want to be a part. And it isn't a screen. It isn't it isn't something that we did online. It's they're seeing a space where they can learn to grow as musicians, where there is a, a teacher that will pour into them and make space for them. To use Chapel Band as, as a really great example, I think as old people, mm-hmm. we have a relationship with screens where, and particularly with our kids in screens, where we either want to sort of put it into this war position. Yeah. We have to fight the screens, that there's this gap that screens are what I've always resonated more mm-hmm. is that we have to be in a position where our kids can be like Daniel, where there's, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle for screen discipleship. <laughs> yeah. This, the technology is advancing at such a rate that there is no uh, going back to a simpler time. No. So rather than mourning the fact right. that we can't, let's lean in 
to what we can do about it. I love this quote from John Tyson, who's a pastor out in New York, where he says, you can be sad that your kids are on their phones, but they're going to be on their phones. So the question you should be asking is how do you get Jesus on their phones? Mm-hmm. And the question for you, like you take it even a step further of how do you get them to put down their phone? Right. Yeah. And people who, you know, I see in a lot of Awana circles, what to bring this back to chapel band, what most people who work with teens experience is that actually it's the adults who are worse at this than them. <laughs> yes. They'll be able to be in an experience like, like a chapel band in the context of their ministry and be like, man, every kid is engaged. Why are all the adults in the back on their phones? Uh-huh. Kids are hungry for experiences like this because it is yeah. contrary to what they're, to what the water that they are swimming in is. Mm-hmm. And we, it is the privilege of our ministry that we get to do things like this and watch them come alive in Jesus. Yeah. I think that's the, the, it's, it's a precious gift of being a youth pastor is that you see the value in being a part of their lives. So you talk about chapel band mm-hmm. and I happen to know that um, it wasn't necessarily from chapel band directly, but uh, there was an extension of your ministry uh, that certainly caught me by surprise. <laughs> and I don't remember the exact way I found out about it, but it probably played out something like you called me and said, Hey, I'm starting a band with my kids. Yeah. So that band is called made to be, it is all have produced two albums, yeah. but fill in the gaps based off of my, uh, tongue in cheek, my tongue in cheek, somewhere right. there on how We're a band. came to be. Okay. Uh, here we go. So I have been songwriting my whole life, not like intentionally, but it's just something that God has shown me. Like you've been songwriting your whole life. So anyway, um, once I started following Jesus, um, he asked me to write an album while I was a professional actor in Chicago. And I wrote that album, not being able to play any of the instruments to like make the music happen. Really. It was just my voice. And then, um, cut to three years of acting, and I, God transitions me into vocational ministry. And I slowly start to notice that there's a void in like the Christian unit, Christian music canon that talks about like following Jesus. It's all about like, you know, sin and he died for it. Or like, I love Jesus and I follow him. There wasn't nuance. There wasn't the process, the journey that I was going on with Jesus myself. So um, I, God started to break my heart for that. And he was like, you need to write about songs that talk about what it feels like to learn to follow me. Um, one of those being the song called Obey, just because the only song that talks about obedience is the hymn, Trust and Obey. And I was like, nobody says like, what happens when obedience sucks? You know, <laughs> what happens when I don't want to do what God just asked me to do? Uh, so uh, started writing music then um, for the church, kept writing that. Um, got diagnosed with severe depression, I had to transition from a few churches just because of my own health at the end of the day. And, um, God, all of a sudden I stopped writing music for a year and a half. And then the day before Thanksgiving, he told me to go write this song that we have been processing about and, you know, while I'm lying in bed and it was called, you know, a better way. And, um, I wrote, I wrote the song, you know, a better way, which is the name of our first album. So basically what ended up happening was, um, the church I'm at with now, Chicago Hope Church, Jason and I, our, our tagline for our church is being real in the real world. And so he would talk about, he would preach about real things. And I'd be like, well, there's not really a song that talks about that. I said, but I have these songs that I've written. So he was like, oh, 
okay. So then he like heard a few songs. He was like, you, you doing this often? I was like, yeah. So uh, I started to share my music with a senior pastor, Jason. And then we started doing a lot of them in church. I, I write intentionally for people to sing in a worship service uh, or a gathering of body of believers. And so um, eventually it wasn't even me. Jason was like, I think you need to make an album. And I was like, what? So in the midst of that, Malcolm, um, our drummer, uh, and now co-youth pastor slash roommate, uh, he actually had to step away from college. So he had come home and, and Jason asked him to play drums. And even Malcolm was like, you didn't see that he was going to ask you to make an album at some point. I was like, no, I've never wanted that. And Malcolm was like, that's gonna, that was clearly going to happen. So, uh, Jason has a great apostolic vision. So, we rewrote album one, but we continued to write. And then um, he sent Malcolm, who brought on his best friend, Pablo, who plays our bass. And then uh, Trey, who was going to Chicago Academy at the time. I had met him and saw that he sang. He started coming to youth group and decided to follow Jesus. And so I brought him on. And then Jason's daughter, Julia, broke her leg and was couldn't dance. She's a professional dancer, couldn't dance for a whole year. And I gave her like one piano lesson. And she just took off with piano. And then we found out she could sing and sing harmonies two weeks before we were like recording our album and whatever. So it, it literally just sort of like, I didn't search for anything. I was obedient and wrote the music that God told me to write. And he literally sent the musicians from the school that we were help servicing. I didn't search for anybody. They sort of just fell into place. And yeah, we made the first album and we released it. And that's when it dawned on us, wait, <laughs> we're a band like yeah. it didn't dawn on us before then because it happened so fast okay. it was less than a year and then we released the album and then we were like oh my goodness we are a band and then we i had a second album written already and then we recorded that and then by that time we were talking about youth ministry and giving them agency julia and trey had saw how i was writing music with god and they were like and god started calling them to write music so Album three, which we are working on, um, is actually written all by Julia, who is 17 years old. You heard it here first, kids. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and I want to lean into that because, you know, we talk a lot about belong, believe, become around here as a, mm. not a three-step mm -hmm. process to child discipleship because there's no handbook, but yeah. three key factors. And, you know, belong, highly relational. We've spoken about that extensively. Yeah. Believe, deeply scriptural. I think anyone who spends at this point in the podcast, any length of time understands how vitally important that is to your ministry. Mm. But this become piece of being highly experiential, especially within the context of teens. You think about the idea of not only being an artist in their midst, not only being a loving, caring adult, not only showing them that you actually care about what happens to them, unlike other adults in the context of their lives, but then saying, okay, now come up here with me. Yeah. You are inviting them into an experience that is so directly correlated with everything they've seen in your ministry. Of course that God's going to use that to have them flourish. And I've seen it y'all and I've listened to it and you should too. That's a, but the fact is it's when I think about made to be, it is one of the clearest examples of become. It is one of the clearest examples that I know of how in the discipleship process of these kids, who admittedly are 17, 18 in their twenties, et cetera. 21. I'm 12 years older than the next oldest bandmate. <laughs> you, God has clearly brought you all together because of your like-mindedness around discipleship through this band. 
And yeah. It's I, a wonderful thing to see. It's it's more than I see. This is what I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's more than I could have asked for. Um, you know, being a musician, I never wanted to, uh, I didn't want an album. I didn't need to be famous. I didn't, you know, I was just happy being a musician. So the fact that he told me to write mm-hmm. and I was obedient in that. And then he took those songs and made space for them. And then he sent the musicians to take care of the music the way it needed to be. And to, to bring, I always say like to watch someone like Julia hear from the Holy spirit and write a brand new album with him. Like she came to me, we processed music and lyrics and stuff, but she came with a, like a product to bring to me. And I'm like, man, I'm 33. You're 17 and I'm your bandmate girl. I can't imagine what you're going to be that, you know, they've said like, I didn't know I could have a relationship with Jesus until I saw you talk about it. And then that launched me into this real walk with him. You know, my godparents are missionaries and I I used to look at them in confusion and be like, why, (laughs) you know, 45 (laughs) years of raising support. Are you kidding me? That sounds horrible. And I actually was able to, they actually support me now. And and I wrote them a letter and it was like, I get it. Mm. I finally get why you stayed in ministry for so long. Is It is infectious to see people come alive in Christ. And you, and once you see it happen, you're like, do it again. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash lasting faith today. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.